Where would you want to be a worm? Anywhere in the world. I think I would want to be a worm in the Amazon forest. With my limited <laughs> with my limited time as a worm. So I would want to be a desert worm and just see how far I got. I think I just chill in like an apple. Oh or my like God. On a, I like yes. take an apple tree and just hang out. What a vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would like that too. You could see the views. Yeah, man. Okay, with that, we're going to start the episode. So I'm going to start. Chloe, I'm starting. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bundle of Hers. I'm really, really excited. Today, we have some awesome guests. They're also my friends, which makes this even more exciting. I've had amazing conversations with them, and I'm excited about the topic we're going to talk about, which is the resistance of identities that are actively being erased or have been erased through history. And their name is Jean and Anaba. I'm going to have them do a little bit more of a thorough introduction. So Jean, maybe let's start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, friends and enemies. My name is Jean. I really love the color black, gold, and red and green. I'm a Zamboni operator. The conversation that we're about to have is really important to me and Annaba, and we're really excited to talk about it. And I think we also know it's a rough topic. So just be aware, listeners, you might hear some tears, ugly crying. I'm not going to hide the way that I ugly cry. <laughs> As you never should, because that is who you are. Annaba? Hello. My name is Annaba Glasser. You just heard from my little sister, Jean. I originally met Hartjeet my first year of medical school, and she was a fourth-year medical student hosting an event to welcome a lot of the individuals who are underrepresented in medicine to a dinner to invite all of us to exist in a safe space. And so our friendship has bloomed so much over the past four years. I'm now a fourth-year medical student, uh, just matched into general surgery. Jean and I have became friends with Harjeet and many of the people on Bundle of Hers. And it's, I think, one of the reasons why we're really connected to this podcast and these particular individuals is just the importance of, you know, owning your identity, even amidst some of the barriers that people face. And for some context, Jean and I are half Navajo women. So our mom was born and raised on a reservation outside of Shiprock, New Mexico. And um, it's a big part of our identity, but also unique in that my mom had a very interesting upbringing and we've had a very interesting upbringing living in uh, Sandy, Utah for the majority of our lives. Our theme this year is how we find power in our identities. And we can't really find that power unless we're really able to develop those identities. And I think it takes a lot to have freedom of choice and a freedom of knowing what really matters to you and who you really are and where you come from. So I'm really grateful that you both will be sharing that with us today. So I kind of wanted to start out with asking you a little bit about your navigation of identities that really stood out to you in your life since a child to a older adult and kind of what is the biggest identity right now that you have been um, navigating currently? So I guess just as a lot of people hopefully know that the larger Native American populations across the United States have largely culturally been erased or there very little is known about them to the larger public. And 
I feel very fortunate in that my mom, who was born and raised on a reservation outside of Shiprock, had exposed us to her home and her family and some of her cultural traditions when we were really young. But I have to be honest, I think when I was younger, I was just like, oh, this is just where mom lived and this is just where dad lived. My dad's from upstate New York. He's a white male and he comes from a place where there are a lot of other white males. And so I think we just, when we were younger, chalked it up pretty simply to like, oh, mom grew up here, dad grew up here. But as we got older and especially living in Sandy, Utah, which is a pretty homogenous white population with a pretty large Mormon community as well. My sister and I were pretty, I guess, like, I wouldn't say outcast, but we definitely had our differences compared to the people around us. And I think as we got older, the most notable thing was that, oh, I got tanner in the summer or like I, we would like be running around playing soccer. And I remember there's like a little boy who commented, oh, your skin looks way more red when you run around. And like, I didn't, think anything of it. I was just like, well, yeah, when I get run around, my face gets red. And he's like, but yours is like different. And so I, I I knew that there was a sense of othering or difference since I was pretty young. And I think those differences just got more drastic as I began to enter spaces where there were very clearly continued to not be very many people who identified as Native American, especially not Navajo women. And so It's tough because I think in my class, there are not any other indigenous individuals. And I don't know, just the whole process of getting into medical school is really complicated and difficult and taxing, emotional. There's, It's just hard no matter who you are. But then to feel like you're walking into a space where no one looks like you or no one has a similar experience or, or you assume these things, it's really hard to kind of break out of that isolation. You have to be really proactive in doing that. And I think that um, imposter syndrome ends up being very real too. I am going into general surgery and for a long time, I never thought that I'd be able to do that just because I had never heard of another Navajo female general surgeon. Thankfully, going through this process, I've met some and I've like read books about some and It's a little bit less isolating, but it's kind of crazy to think that I can only name three off the top of my head. Something that really struck my um, attention, Anaba, is kind of this like navigation through life with that identity of yours not being a forefront. And something that I see often with indigenous communities, this kind of visibility or invisibility, I guess like I want to understand a little bit more growing up. Was this something that was often talked about in your house of being Navajo, of being indigenous? Maybe let's have Jean jump in here. Yeah. Um, as Annabelle was talking about how growing up there is the you know, visible part that you just can't escape from. That story of that little boy, I had never heard that story, but I feel like I remember growing up and Annabelle and I had this conversation later on in life. I was always wanting darker hair and darker skin. Even now, my cousins always say, oh, I didn't know we had a light skin in the family, which I, you know, to be fair, I am very white passing more so than Annabelle definitely. I remember Annaba telling me that for picture days, you know, at school, you'll have picture days. And Annaba told me that mom would not want her to be outside as much because she didn't want her to be as dark. While I got the complete opposite, that I need to be tanner. 
and that she always uh, very much said that, oh, people with darker eyes are the most mysterious. And I always wanted to be that. I wanted to be darker in every way possible. And then Annabeth told me I wanted to have lighter hair and all this stuff. So there was this like big difference that I don't think we realized growing up. And for me, I think that a lot of the native features that I get aren't based on my skin color, but more of maybe my bone structure or some people have even said my eyes, but a lot of people in my life, they have never really commented on anything, probably because I am light skinned. I am more white passing. And so once Annabelle and I got closer, and this would have been when I was in college and she got out of college, we started having these conversations. And growing up, I felt like we knew about Navajo cultures to some point, but growing up in a predominantly LDS environment, even though we weren't LDS, we still grew up going to Catholic school. So there weren't many brown people or just many people of color in our friend groups. But one thing that actually came to mind right now, when I got my first period, it was Christmas Eve. I was 11 Ooh. years old. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't know why we called it this, but I said, mom, dad, I got my grandma. And then my dad said, please don't tell me this. And my mom said, oh my gosh, we need to have a party. And I thought, what? It's a canalda. A canalda is a three-day celebration for a child or a girl going to be a woman or getting their first period. I didn't have any Navajo friends. I, at that age, I didn't want to talk about puberty. I went to Catholic school. No one talked about that kind of stuff. So I thought if I was going to have a party, that would be the lamest party with no one there except my family. <laughs> and then recently I get a call from my cousin and he asked me, is it true that Navajo people have period parties? And I'm like, they give me crap for being the light skin, yet I know more. And I think, I hate to say it when you are biracial, I think you're more likely to learn more about your dark skin culture if you have a dark skin mother which is what we have. While my cousin, who is older than me, who prides himself on being Navajo, had never heard of this because his mother's white and his father's Navajo. Navigating it is very different for other people. And I saw that. I still see that through me, through Anaba, and through my cousins. So yeah, light-skinned or dark-skinned, it's a different journey is what I realized. And I think a lot of people try to judge the fact that like I wasn't raised on the res, but I've met people on the res who don't know Navajo as well. It's very different journey. So through all of this, I think there was a part of it where navigating it, I thought I was better or I was superior because I was getting more into my culture as I got older, but upset with the color of my skin that it wasn't dark enough. It's going to be a continuing process. I feel like I'm healing my inner child by realizing, hey, I don't have to be as dark as Annaba or as dark as my cousins to really get to a good place where I want to learn more about my culture. I really appreciate that um, you talk about the complexities and nuances that, you know, people experience, like maybe these cousins that are on the reservation, they are also battling with their own internalized racism, sexism that 
exists and is prevalent in all of us, right? I also really appreciate that you talk about wanting to continue to keep and hold your identities that feel right for you. And I wanted to ask both of you, how do you guys practice staying visible as Navajo women? Because I think one thing I really appreciate about Indigenous cultures is how um, matriarchal Indigenous cultures are and how much power there is in women. And it sounds like there's the two of you and you have your mom and your father, but it's like mostly a woman-led kind of family. I wonder a lot about what kind of things do you really hold on to in your culture, in your identities that kind of allow you to navigate your jobs, your personal lives powerfully? Because I feel like a lot of the strongest parts of me come from my identity of being Punjabi and that my love for um, equity and justice come from me being a Sikh. So I wanted to know, like, what parts do you hold on to tightly and showcase in the way you live? Yeah, I think we both have probably different answers to this, but like answers that we feel really strongly about. And I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head and identifying that there are a lot of indigenous cultures that have like a maternalistic focus. And that is very much true of Navajo as well. That's part of the reason why there is a kinalda, like a celebration of like womanhood as you're, you know, growing into puberty and all of this stuff. And it's more public and it's like, it's admired, you know, it's a big part of it, like coming of age sorts of ceremonies. Jean kind of touched on this a little bit. And I still think that to an extent I am white passing, but at the same time, I think that one of the pieces of my Navajo identity that I've held on to was given to me at birth. Um, so I kind of have a, a little bit of a cop-out answer, but Anaba is a Navajo name. So Ba is a traditional Navajo ending for a woman, and it means someone who has been to battle. So that also kind of reflects like the power of the woman and the matriarch in Navajo culture and as someone who is powerful and like can be feared and fierce. And I think one way that I've continued to hold on to that is just getting more comfortable correcting people when they say my name too. For a long time, it was really taxing. You know, when I would say, hey, my name's Annabelle and people would automatically say, oh, hi, Annabelle. I think after a while when I was younger, I just kind of gave up a little because it just wasn't worth the effort. And I felt like people that were willing to kind of skip out or just like not skip out, but like weren't willing to like ask for clarification, probably weren't going to be people that I got along with anyway, from like an, uh, an open-mindedness standpoint. But even now, sometimes I have difficulty correcting people, but I really try to be proactive about it, even in a medical setting too. So when I start a rotation, I try to be very clear, like my name is Annaba. And if people call me Annabelle, I'm like, no, nope, not quite. This is what my name is. Or even like little things like if I'm getting a coffee order at like a cafe, I don't give them like my short name. I sometimes would say Anna when I was younger and I'd be like, no, my name's Annaba. This is how you spell it. And it usually prompts discussion about, oh, that's really interesting. I've never heard that before. Where does it come from? And I like being able to talk to people about that and share. This is a part of my identity and this is part of a culture that like majority of people who had never heard my name would have no idea what it meant. And it imparted some kind of cultural nugget about like, you know, this is like a cool thing about the Navajo culture that someone can now take away as well. 
Yes, I love your name. And that's amazing that it means like someone who's gone through battle because Anaba, I see you as kind of a Navajo woman who's going into surgery where there's probably you can count them on your finger on one hand, how many other Navajo women surgeons there are. And like, it's that spirit of always in the battle in an empowering way is something that I see in you. I didn't know that was what your name meant. So that's really cool. And it makes me happy that um, that's what it means. Um, what about you, Jean? What kind of things do you hold tightly from your culture? Uh, what kind of values that kind of guide the way you live your life, be it in your personal or professional life? Well, I do take pride in my apparently high cheekbones. Um, <laughs> yes, they're beautiful. Oh, I know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I mean, with that, I try to see background to this. I was a photography major at the University of Utah. And I got to uh, learn about photographers, you know, back in the day and when they took photographs of indigenous First Nations people. Now, at first, I thought, Awesome. Great. These must be amazing people. When in reality, they're selling these photographs to very, very rich other white people because they have this fetishization, especially like they do now. They definitely did then. In the end, I see these photographs and they're still people. They're still people of different tribes. I see my grandmother or Shamasane. I see my Shiche. I see my Shama. I see people that I love and care about through these photographs. I see the reservation. And so when I saw those photographs, I decided that I wouldn't be as hard as my on myself about my own physical features, whether that be my chubby cheeks or my my nose that I, I have a love-hate relationship with. But more than that, because I was a photo major, I, I started making Navajo-inspired work. I would do critiques on museums that have Navajo rugs or any indigenous tribe rugs in their museums, kind of clapping back at them, if you will. Um, a really you know important project I did was... Uh, called Stolen Sisters. It's about missing and murdered indigenous women. And through that, I took uh, found images from my mom's book of old photographs and was able to put them into a small book. So I got them scanned. I took photographs down on the reservation and I took videos on the reservation and I added audio, which included me speaking something in English and then followed that with video with my mother speaking Navajo. So in the video, you can tell that she's saying what I'm saying, but in the language of itself. And I was lucky enough to have my mother, Linda May Badeneglasser, and my uh, Navajo professor, Anthony Shirley from the University of Utah. I love that I was able to collaborate with them. And Anthony Shirley is amazing. Also, talking with my mom, I, my mom's pretty, I wouldn't say closed off. She's just very living in the moment, living for her daughters now in the future, that she doesn't really rely on the past. It's not that she doesn't care for it. I think there are some things that she just doesn't want us to go through. So she just doesn't talk about her past. That is something that I think a lot of BIPOC people with BIPOC parents, they went through something that we're lucky we didn't have to go through. But 
seeing her like excited and emotional, which she really isn't a very emotional person. But when I was able to speak with her, she realized, oh man, I've lost it. I've lost some of it. So I practice with her. And so every time I see her, I, I always, you know, say, which says, hello, mom, what are you up to? I mean, I'm sure that my rhythm and my <laughs> inflection, my accent is all wrong. I'm a pretty blunt, nasally speaker as it is, but she's willing to practice. And also the Native American Trading Post is a place that I really like to go visit and shop at here. It's where my mom used to take me when I was younger, occasionally. But now that I'm not all the way in Sandy, I can go see it more often and go there and shop locally, local native jewelry. And so I brought her there a couple weeks ago and she said, they sell mutton here? They sell mutton? (laughs) So we were able to make mutton stew and fry bread. And she saw all the artwork and she was looking at all the jewelry. And it's really wonderful to see her with people that, that look like her that also are the same ethnicity. So one huge thing is the fact that like, I may not agree with my mother on everything. I mean, we butt heads, but there's no denying that we both have that Dene in us, her more so than me. But that is probably one of the biggest similarities we have. And I understand if she doesn't want to talk about some things, but if I'm willing to put effort in, I think she's willing to like get some happiness back out of it. And yeah, I don't think she ever really saw me or Annaba ever considering to even think about getting closer to our culture, apart from family reunions down in the Four Corners area. So that's a huge thing is being closer with my mom, no matter how much we butt heads. And I just kind of want to shout out to your mom and we've um, talked about her a little bit, but it sounds like she was a woman who lived on the reservation and then had to go to boarding school because of racism. Um, It makes sense. A lot of probably why she doesn't share what she's gone through is because there's a lot of trauma there. But also, I think it's super powerful that you both are excited to learn more about the culture. And she feels like you guys are healing each other together. One thing that you said, Jean, that I wanted to touch on is um, you use the word BIPOC. And I've been thinking about this term a lot. So BIPOC stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. I think the word black is separate because black people have their own histories in America. I think the word people of color is a more bigger category because that's different. But then there's also the word indigenous. And I have noticed that due to colonization, a lot of indigenous people did get killed. So I think the uplifting of indigenous voices is something that is super important, but also difficult in a lot of spaces. So I just wanted to ask you both a little bit about that experience of like, you are brown people, you're people of color, but you're also indigenous and your stories are very different than a lot of people and none of us could understand. So like, did that feel really isolating growing up? Is it something you're still thinking about? Because your histories are very different than people who've immigrated here, right? When we're in fourth grade in Utah, there's a part of our curriculum that talks about Utah history specifically. I remember only a part of the time being dedicated to the Navajo culture. 
And when I would go to the textbooks and try and like read about it, there were only like two pages, three pages. And uh, there weren't a lot of other people around that could say, oh yeah, I know what it feels like to have, I don't know, like at recess, have like the white kids and the brown kids fight over me to be on their team. And Gene and I have had a discussion about this recently. Like when there, especially in recent years, have been like a lot of social unrest and a lot of injustices enacted upon people of color. Gene and I obviously like mourn and grieve, but we also recognize that like we don't always identify with the population who is a victim of those horrible tragedies and terrors. And she and I have like confided in each other how it's hard to name and place what we're feeling because we don't really have anyone else to relate to on it. For that, I'm really grateful that I have her because it's less isolating to have someone else in my life that has like more or less like the same experience and exposure to like very different cultures. Um, But it's something that we still really struggle with. And I think a lot of the conclusion that I've come to and part of what motivates me and motivates Gene to like invest in understanding our culture is recognizing that like Gene had mentioned before, how we identify with our culture is going to be very different from a lot of other ethnicities and of different backgrounds, but it could even be different from like our cousins who have had like even a different upbringing just because they were raised by my mom's brother who didn't have a Canalda or he had like also really traumatizing experiences from being deployed in the military. Like there's so many confounding factors. We can't subscribe a one size fits all to how an identity can resonate with us, especially if it's going to change over time and build and become more beautiful and grow. And so I think I've tried to come to a place of comfort with the fact or like contentness, if that's even a word, with the fact that like it is going to change and grow and continue to be hard to understand my identity and to make sure that it still stays as much alive in me today and maybe even more in the upcoming years too. One really difficult thing about like the indigenous history too is that the way it's talked about in textbooks and the way it's talked about in the public makes it seem like it almost feels like the erasure has already occurred. That's a very important and powerful statement because yes, totally. It feels, and it wasn't even a long time ago, but it feels like, oh, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And I think that's what Jean talked about too. And like going over all of these pictures, it's like almost like this story is romanticized and fetishized as if it were like an ancient tale of people long long ago. And it's like, no, actually, these people really do exist. There are still people who went to indigenous boarding schools and still live each day with the repercussions of the trauma from that. And I, th- I think that disconnect is also what contributes to the isolation. I meant to say that earlier, but I got I went off on a tangent. No, but that was I'm so happy you added to- that. Yeah, I, w- I also wanted to add anyone listening to this that might be, you know, who might not even be indigenous, but feels like maybe you're more alone in this than me because, you know, I have Annaba here with me, literally sitting next to me. So if I need to cry, I just grab her thigh. Oh my God, that rhymed. <laughs> um, but I mean, to anyone listening to this that feels like they're alone, I know it can be hard, but the people who really care about you will be there. You know, personally, li- living in Utah, 
I I don't really have any brown friends. Like I met Harjeet and Lena through Annaba, and I'm so grateful for that. But I've never been also really ever been called like brown until I was working in South Lake Tahoe last year when I worked with friends. And our last day, one of them said, I'm going to miss my brown girls. I'm going to miss our little, like the brown friends unite. And I kind of just stood there and I thought, no one's ever said that about me. I've never been like, you know, felt very connected to people who are mixed race or it feels really nice. And if you ever feel alone, you know, Bundle of Hers is a great place to, you know, listen to and feel at home. And personally, if you ever want to get more in touch with your culture that you feel like that you've been separated out with, Annabelle's done amazing and able to use her career to do it too. I personally kind of like to do crafts. So luckily I have my mom around who's going to teach me how to, you know, weave rugs and I'm really excited for it. But try to reach out to some people, you know, I mean, I'm sure there will be people there for you. Again, I'm super grateful you both are talking about this because it is something that I often think about, right? Like being indigenous isn't similar to like being an immigrant. It's not similar to being black. Each story in history is different and it's even different within families, which I think you both touched on. It is really important to like listen and understand and really get what where people's stories come from. I think I'm a little speechless because I'm just really grateful you both are here. And Harji, we love you so much. I also have two other sisters, so I love seeing you guys' connection. And I think it helps with identity formation as well. My older sister would always tell us the importance and the values that we learned growing up as Punjabis or as Sikhs. And so I think it's like really cool that you both are able to resist that together. Again, I'm really um, happy that you were able to come onto the podcast. Is there anything else you guys want to add before I close up? Please reach out to me. I'd love to. I'd love to see some more Indigenous ladies get into medicine. Oh, I I did actually have one other thing. Sorry, <laughs> I have one other thing. If you haven't read the scalpel and the silver, if you, <laughs> I was like the the scalpel and the silver bear. That like moved mountains in terms of being able to like identify and name feelings that I didn't even know that existed in me. And I, I just, just read, just read the book. It's beautiful. Harjeet likes it too. Yes, I do. I love it. I actually read it in, um, my older sister, um, was going into medicine. So she read it and I was in high school and I read it. And I think that's when I started learning a little bit more about indigenous history that also, I didn't know about because, you know, the schools don't do a good job educating us. So that's when I learned and discovered a lot about indigenous history was because of that book. And it was very, very powerful to me. So um, if you're indigenous or not, I think it's a great book to read and super powerful. So thank you for shouting that out. Well, um, with that, I'm really, um, again, grateful and thankful that you both were able to be here and share your story with us and also continue to resist and show visibility to your identities. Please um, listen to us on any podcasting platforms. You can follow us at Bundle of Hers. As you know, we have new pins that say Power From Identity. So if you have a story about 
someone who you know is indigenous or if you're indigenous yourself and want to share something on our um, Instagram, please do that and we can get you guys a pin. Thanks, Anava. Thanks, Jean. Thank you. Thank you. Whoop, whoop. Okay, bye.